You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. What are the rules to the game of success? Once upon a time, they were go to school, get good grades, and secure a great job. Those rules, that story, don't play in today's exciting and rapidly changing world. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is successful. He didn't play and win by the old rules. He was a video game addict and, in his own words, a high school flunky and college dropout. Today, He's a highly successful digital marketing entrepreneur, a speaker, and neuromarketer who helps businesses answer the question, what do people want on my website? He started his own conversion optimization agency, Daily Conversion, in 2014, which he later merged into or with Disruptive Advertising where he currently works as VP of Site Testing and Optimization. His vision and expertise can help your business thrive. Get pumped up to meet Chris Daly. Chris, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Let's have some fun. Where did you grow up, my friend? So I grew up in the Phoenix Valley, Arizona, nice and hot. I still uh, love the heat. Um, And uh, so I lived there until I was about 18 and graduated from high school there and uh, by the skin of my teeth (laughs) and uh, and then uh, ended up moving up to Utah with my family where I've been for the last, oh, 10, uh, 13, 14 years. It's been quite a while now. Um, so I still have the nice heat, but, uh, also get to enjoy the beautiful mountains up here in Utah. Mm-hmm. I drove through Utah once and I went through the desert and, uh, I mean, I found myself stopping every 20 minutes to take photos. It was stunning. It's gorgeous. The mountains yeah. here are just incredible. Yeah. Beautiful country. Who influenced you the most when you were growing up? 
You know, there was there was a lot of people, but mainly it was my friends. And um, sadly, for most of my life, I have struggled with a compulsive need for everyone to like me. And I, I say unfortunately because <clears throat> if taken to the extreme, that can turn into uh, that can turn into dishonesty, which that happened a lot when I was a child. I was dishonest with people to try to get them to like me. You know, would say things uh, to try to get to try to make friends or to try to fit in those kinds of things. You know, I really struggled with my own self-image and my own self-worth, uh, and so I was highly influenced by friends. And I, you know, I mentioned. You mentioned in my bio that uh, I was kind of a video game addict growing up, um, and that was largely influenced by friends as well. That was what a lot of the kids were doing, and um, and so I ended up spending enormous amounts of time uh, playing video games um, and and really not engaging in life because I loved life and I loved myself. I was engaging in life because. I was afraid that I wasn't enough by myself. So mm. I, I was highly influenced growing up. Wow, thanks for that transparency. I mean, that's a um, wonderful thing to share, and I know that a lot of people can relate to it. Can you give me an example of something that you said you would uh, say dishonest things so that people would like you? Give us an example, if, if you recall. Oh, yeah, there was all kinds of things. So, you know, some of my friends at the time were really big into, uh, you know, going out and going boating or wakeboarding or uh, going snowboarding, believe it or not, in Arizona. Um, <laughs> but people would, you know, drive up to Utah, actually, to go snowboarding and those kinds of things. And even though I had never been snow snowboarding before, or never been wakeboarding before, you know, I tell people, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that all the time, you know, which the funny thing is, as an adult, I look back now and go, that doesn't make anyone like you more. And, and the, the sad thing is when you are, um, when you're being dishonest with others, you're usually being dishonest. You're lying to yourself. Um, and, and that usually ends up resulting in people liking you even less. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I was trying to get this result of people liking me by trying to fit in and saying the right things or what I perceived as the right things. Uh, and, you know, and that came back to bite me later in life, and I and I had to go through a major period of learning how to be honest with myself, with others, whatever whatever that meant. That's wonderful. Um, like I said, I think a lot of people will be able to relate. Um, let me tell you, I relate. Uh, when I grew up, um, I also had that need, and it led me to uh, do things that were not that supportive to my self-esteem and as another adult i am definitely uh i have improved but i find that knee-jerk reflex still there sometimes i go whoa whoa oh yeah but now i catch it i go wait a minute no 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 don't go there um you just reminded me i'm, I'm just gonna say it i mean because i it was something that i'm i didn't like remembering but i remember once when for some reason, one of my friends was angry at me. I was a very young kid. And what I tried to do was buy his friendship by giving him one of my toys. Mm, yeah. And I, and I look back on that and I go, wow, that was desperate. Like, that's like begging somebody to like you. And like you said, that's not going to make them like you more. As a matter of fact, 
uh, you'll probably lose uh, respect in their eyes by doing it. Well, and so, you know, what what I actually did, and this is, you know, going off um, on, on kind of a separate subject, but <clears throat> for a long time, um, you mentioned kind of that knee-jerk response, that knee-jerk reaction to try to say whatever it is to get people like you. So what I have done for, for the better part of the last year is um, I committed to myself that anytime I felt or I recognized that I was being dishonest in any situation, whether it's a business situation or a personal situation in life, that I would go back and, so to speak, clean it up with the person. So I would tell them, hey, I was dishonest with you here. So this actually happened like two weeks ago. I was in a business meeting and a bunch of us had committed to read a, a certain book, a, a business book before uh, a leadership meeting. And so we're going around the table. Did everyone read it? Did everyone read it? And I said, yes, and I hadn't. And, um, and so we go back, um, we finished the meeting and I, and I was just, you know, feeling terrible. You know what? I, I, I didn't do that. So I actually went back and talked to some of the people from the meeting and said, you know what? I said that I read that book and I didn't. And doing that has helped me more than anything because it's super uncomfortable to go up to someone and admit that you just lied to them. It's really uncomfortable. And doing that has helped me to go. So the next time that kind of a situation comes up, I go, no, you know what? It's way worse to go up and tell someone you just lied to them than it is to say you didn't read the stupid book, you know? Um, and so I would way rather just be honest in the moment than having to go back and clean it up afterwards. So uh, anyways, I just figured I'd, I'd share that. That's been something that's been helpful for me. No, that's wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing that. Have you read the, um, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz? No, I haven't. Oh, it's an absolute must. You will love it. It's a small but profound book, and it's the kind of book that you might find yourself reading once a year. And there are four agreements that you make with yourself to live an extraordinary life. And on the surface, they seem so simple. You go, duh. I mean, the first one is be impeccable with your word. Mm, love it. Oh, man. And, um, yeah. And I think the fourth one is don't take anything personally. I love that, too. You know, they're, they're simple, but they're not easy. No, they're not. You know? Yeah, I highly recommend it. Thanks for it. What was the book that you claimed to have read? Um, it was actually, oddly, it was Extreme Ownership. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very ironic. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's great. So, but in the discussion, were you able to hold your own? Sure, because I, you know, I believe in the principles of the book. And so, you know, I think that this is, this is where, this is where, you know, growing up with a history of being dishonest with people um, can really come to bite you because it's really easy to justify in some situations. For me to go, well, I didn't read the book, but I understand all the principles and I do a lot of these things. Um, <laughs> and so I can probably BS my way through this. Um, but going back to, you know, you talk about these four agreements and, and being impeccable with yourself. It, it's not about whether other people think I read the book. It's me being honest with what I say. It's about my word. I'm a man of my word. And, you know, maybe I can BS the whole conversation, but I didn't read the book. And I want to own up to that. 
You know, I want to say this to you and to my listeners right now. Uh, Chris and I didn't plan to get into this discussion, but I think it's a very interesting irony that, in a way, what we've just talked about will probably do more for you, Chris, in terms of winning the appeal and uh, winning the the trust of the people listening and in making them, motivating them to want to look you up when they find out about your expertise because they're learning firsthand, hey, this is a guy, you know, I'll use a street term, he's a stand-up guy, you know? I appreciate that. Really interesting. Love it. Now, one of these questions I think has become irrelevant. <laughs> Did you like school? <laughs> and were you a good student? Now, you may have been a good student, but I know you weren't crazy about school. No, I wasn't crazy about school, and I wasn't a good student. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, so I've, I've got two daughters. I have a, a four-and-a-half-year-old who's in uh, preschool right now. And I am c- coming face-to-face with a lot of the issues that I had with school because my daughter has a lot of the same issues that I had with school. Uh, and so it's interesting how some of these things that you think you leave behind you in life can come back uh, and you, you, ha- you, know, you, you end up getting to confront a lot of issues later in life sometimes. But, um, but no, I mean, there was a lot of different reasons why um, I, I didn't particularly like school. Number one, um, and this is something I still struggle with to this day, especially when people talk about going and getting a college education. Um, a lot of the things that I learned in school, I just didn't feel like were ever going to be relevant in my life. You know, I didn't feel like I could apply most of what I was learning. Um, and so for me, it wasn't that I couldn't learn this stuff. It wasn't that I couldn't study for a test or I couldn't do the homework. I just didn't want to. And so, you know, there was nothing interesting to me about it. Um, And so that's part of why I ended up, you know, becoming addicted to video games as a kid was I had all this time to kill and all my friends are studying. (laughs) I don't want to study, so I'm just going to do something else. I'm going to go into fantasy land over here. Um, And, you know, and that kind of carried on all the way into college and especially the reason that I actually ended up dropping out of college was I was I was in college for a degree in marketing, um, which is what I ended up doing. Uh, you know, I knew that I was interested in marketing. I knew that uh, I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do in marketing, but I knew that that was the the subject was interesting to me. So while I'm in school for marketing, I went and got a job in marketing, um, and pretty quickly realized that I knew a lot more than my teachers did about marketing, or, you know, just after one year of, of working in the field. Um, and so the same kind of thing came up that, that happened to me in, in elementary school and high school. I suddenly found that I was disinterested in what I was learning at school. I didn't feel like the concepts that I was learning were that applicable. Um, and I felt like I was learning a lot more from actually working. Um, so that combined with that combined with uh, you know realizing that I was making more by the time I was a sophomore in college than the average college graduate would led me to to drop out of college. But you know there was just there was a variety of 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 things that you know I mentioned there of just um, 
really not engaging with the learning process. Now, I, I, am, I am a huge believer in constant learning, in personal development, in reading, in you know, educating yourself. And so that's been something that I have discovered as I've, as I've grown older is I love, I love learning. And I love learning when I am the, when I feel like I'm the one that's initiating the interest and the educational process. The part that I still really struggle with, and I think that schools will continue to struggle with um, as we move more into the future, is with the what I would call more arbitrary learning, where it's like, well, we're going to teach you everything about everything because that way we don't have to have customized, you know, learning for each person's particular interests or for each person's particular career paths. So that that's kind of my uh, <laughs> my my history with school a little bit. And is your daughter experiencing the same kind of thing? She does. So this is we actually my wife and I just had a conversation last night about this. Um, both in school and in, she's in gymnastics right now, uh, and she is fantastic at gymnastics. She is so good. She very quickly became the best in her class, and the the challenge that came with that is she became the best in her class, she got really good at stuff, and now she just doesn't want to pay attention because <laughs> she's very good at it and doesn't feel like she's learning. She feels like she's being held back kind of by some of the other kids, so part that's part of it. And then we also put her in a more advanced gymnastics program, and which is very challenging for her. And then she doesn't want to she she doesn't want to engage uh, in gymnastics in the, in the gymnastics. That's hard because she's used to being so good at it. And so those are things that I really struggled with as a kid. There were certain subjects in school, for example, that came really easily and naturally to me. I've always been a very good writer, and so English classes were always fairly easy to me. And because they were very easy and I felt like my writing level was, you know, in, in some ways above other students in the class, I found that I was just goofing around in class most of the time. Um, and, it, and it wasn't because I didn't like the subject. It was just that, I, you know, I felt like uh, I wasn't learning anything and I felt like I wasn't being engaged. And so, yeah, I'm really struggling with that with my daughter right now of, of how to help her stay engaged and how, how to help her to be okay with challenges. This is, um, you know, when, when, when I was a kid, I really wanted to become a professional basketball player. That was like, like my dream for a while. I loved Michael Jordan. I thought he was the greatest thing on the planet, and I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. And so that was this, this vision that I have for myself. I want to become Michael Jordan. And... I wasn't willing to do all the work that it took to become a professional basketball player or frankly, even to become like a high school basketball player. And so I quickly became very discouraged as I saw all the other kids be, being much better than me. And this goes back to this, the self-esteem thing. Saw these other kids that were much better than me. And instead of going, instead of taking responsibility and saying, well, they're better than me because they're practicing more and I can go practice too. Instead of doing that, I went into the, you know, the shame of it's because I suck. It's because I'm not as good as these people. And so, you know, I see my daughter going into some of that, you know, in this more challenging gymnastics class. She's used to being the best. She goes into this more challenging program. There's all these kids that are much better than her at certain things. And that's very discouraging for her. And instead of her working harder at it and wanting to succeed, 
she will kind of give up or distract or joke around because she's afraid she's not going to be as good. Mm -hmm. And so um, these are major, major uh, things that they don't go away after you grow up as an adult either. <laughs> um, no, they, they don't. They, and so they're, they're things that not just because I have a kid that's going through this, but because I've started to realize I still have a lot of these, um, you know, a lot, a lot of self-doubt in a lot of areas. And, and I don't want to have that. That's not the kind of man that I want to be. Um, and so I've been, I've been working on challenging all of those ideas myself. And helping my daughter through these has just opened my eyes to how pervasive this has been throughout my life. I am so happy that we're going on this track. It is one of the most relevant topics, especially in today's world. Here's what I want to tell you. What you said about the educational system, you're bang on. And when you were resisting as a young man in school, you were resisting for a good reason. Now, society has puts pressure on having you conform to the way a quote-unquote good student would behave. But your natural instinct said no. Um, a lot of this stuff is not useful. A lot of it's just being pushed on me because it's the way things have been developed. But my heart and soul are not into it. And you know what? That is something that we need to honor in people more and more, especially in children today. As a matter of fact, kids, I taught at the university level. And But if somebody comes to me today and they say they want to go to college or university, my first question will be, why? And if they say they want to do it because they want a better job and a better place in society, I'll say, then don't go. Because oh. what you're learning by the time you graduate in the world of exponential change will be irrelevant. And yep. that, because the educational system was designed to teach us skills to turn people into employees. You at heart are an, uh, not an employee, you're an entrepreneur. And that skill set that makes people employees is going to be less and less valued, and eventually it will become extinct. And I'm talking about the next 10 or 15 years. So this is an extremely relevant conversation. Um, I love to read. I'm going to recommend a very challenging book to you in terms of personal growth. It's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And if you get it, also by the accompanying audio um, uh, CDs that have the full meditation on there because it takes you through a guided meditation that is profound. Yeah. This is great stuff, my friend. I love it. So you did cover what you wanted to be as a child. Yes, indeed. I love that. Childhood dreams. What kinds of work did you do before discovering your current passion? Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up in high school, I did all kinds of things. I worked at uh, Wendy's for four days. <laughs> 
as a uh, burger flipper and realized very quickly that was not for me. Um, but in terms of actual career work, um, I initially, while I was trying to figure out what I, what I wanted to do, I, I dabbled around in different sales positions. <clears throat> you know, I've always had fairly good communication skills, and so sales seemed like a natural fit for me. Um, and so I worked at a couple of different companies doing sales and ended up selling for a company that did digital marketing. And so this ended up being my career path, and I didn't know it at the time, but um, I actually got set up with this job. <laughs> kind of funny story. I, I bumped into a distant relative of mine, like a second or third cousin. And uh, she happened to be working at this company that I ended up getting the job at. And she, she told me about it, and I said, oh, that's very interesting. So she set me up with an interview, and I literally never saw her again. I haven't seen her to this day. But she ended up setting me uh, up with this, with this job that turned out to define my career. Really interesting. But um, So I, I started doing sales for this company that did digital marketing and became fascinated by um, search engine optimization. So being able to influence the, the Google search results. That's what I was selling at the time was search engine optimization. And, and it was just so interesting to me because I use Google every day. You know, I had no idea that there was a whole algorithm that determined how websites were ranked and all these different things. And it's just very interesting to me. And so I applied for an internal job and ended up getting it. So I, uh, so I got a job. And this is, again, while I'm still in school, I start doing digital marketing. I love it. Um, I, I had several different jobs. I spent probably three years or so doing search engine optimization. And during this time, I also, you know, dropped out of college. Um, and then one of the companies that I was at at the time, uh, I was doing search engine optimization. And the whole goal of search engine optimization is to get your website to rank on Google when someone searches for whatever, you know, uh, laptops, you know, let's just say. And you want to be the, per the first person that ranks because that's the one that people click on the most. So I'm doing this for a business. I'm helping them get ranked on Google for a bunch of different things. We start getting a lot of traffic to the site. And um, most of that traffic doesn't convert. So we're not actually making any money. We're not getting leads. We're not getting sales um, from all of this traffic. And that's, of course, a problem. You know, anybody who started a business, you put up a website, you get people to the site. If people aren't converting, you know there's a problem. Um, and so this is where I ended up discovering my current field of expertise, which is conversion rate optimization. Because I had to figure out, well, how do I get people to convert? I'm getting all these people to the site. That's a good thing. I assume that these are potential customers because they're searching for the stuff that I have. But nobody's signing up. Nobody's buying. Uh, so how do I get them to convert? And no one at the company I was at at the time could help me figure that out. You know, the designers didn't know. The developers didn't know. The, you know, the PPC experts didn't know. Like, no one could understand why this traffic wasn't converting. So, um, so, so that's kind of what led up to me getting into the field that I'm in today. Um, it was a long series of kind of random random jobs, random odds and ends that, that led to me uh, falling in love with, you know, the digital marketing space. I love it. Tell me, what is the key to conversion? 
The key to converting people is, and, and there's, you know, obviously not one easy answer, but, but the real key is answering the question, what do people really want on my website? If you can answer that question, then you can create the ultimate website experience. The problem is, I'll tell you the biggest problem that most businesses, that most marketers, the most business owners have is that they think they already have the answer to that question and they don't. Um, most businesses, when they set out to build a website, already think they know what their audience wants from their website because they know, well, they want this product. And that's true. You probably even have a good idea of who your target customer is. You could probably tell me exactly who your target customer is and where they live and how old they are and how much they make. You could probably tell me all of those things, but all of those things are not the same as knowing what exactly they want to see on a website. And so a big mistake that companies will make is they'll say, okay, well, our target demographic is women, mothers between the ages of 30 and 50 who, uh, you know, are stay-at-home moms and they, you know, have an income of $100,000 to $150,000 a year. Therefore, they like these kinds of websites. They like Instagram. Uh, they like uh, fashion bloggers. They like this and this and this. So let's copy... Instagram. Let's copy our the, these fashion bloggers. Let's copy, um, you know, whatever whatever their their favorite kind of website is out there. Let's just copy that because they've already figured it out, and we'll just we'll just piggyback on that. But the problem with that is number one, uh, that other company sells something different than you. Even if they sell the exact same product as you, you are going to be getting a unique audience to your site. It might be the same people. But when they come to your site, they're not expecting that other site experience. They're expecting for you to have your own experience. And so when they come to your site, it doesn't matter if it looks like the other website. If it doesn't fill the need they have, if it doesn't address their pain points, if it doesn't uh, communicate effectively and clearly to them, if it's not easy to use, especially if they came there from social media on a mobile device and your mobile site sucks, they're not going to buy from you, even though they might want your product. And so that's a, a major, major, major um, stumbling block for most businesses out there is, um, is being willing to be humble enough to say, okay, I, I might not know exactly what my audience wants on my website, and so I'm going to try to figure it out. I love that. Could you give us an example of a – you could pick any uh, product that a person might be selling – and the kind of mistake they would make in positioning that product to the audience. Yeah, I'll give you a, a perfect example that just came up in the last few months. So, um, work with a company um, called Diesel Power Gear. They actually have a TV show. They have this very, very active audience that loves their products. And so they sell all kinds of things like t-shirts, hats, lighters, can openers, like whatever. I mean, you name it, they sell it on their site. And they spent several hundred thousand dollars building out a new website because they thought our audience wants a better website. Uh, so we're going to go and find this big agency and they're going to do all the design work. They're going to make it cutting, cutting edge design. You know, they're going to develop it out for us. Um, you know, very common story. Lots of companies do this. So they created this, this website and on their homepage, they said, okay, 
a lot of our people come from Instagram. So let's make our homepage look like Instagram. Let's just put tons of products on there. And on your mobile device, there will be like whatever, four products per screen. And you'll just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And you can just keep scrolling and you'll just see all of our products on there. So they made this assumption that because their audience was on Instagram and liked Instagram, that if they made their site like Instagram, they would sell more products. So they launched this new website. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. And it doesn't convert any better. Now, I mean, fortunately, it doesn't convert worse, but it doesn't make them more money. And when you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a site design, you expect to make more money from it. And so there they've got a, a conundrum. Well, why aren't people buying more? Maybe we've just maximized our conversion rate for the website, but probably not. So they came to me and, and asked me, okay, how can we figure this out? So one of the very first things that we did, the very first tests that we ran on their website I call it an existence test. It's one of the simplest tests you can run on a site. And the whole premise behind an existence test is should everything that's on the site be there? So what we do is you take, we, we took their existing home page and we created copies of it. We created like six different versions of their home page. Some of them that had, had removed products, some of them that, uh, you know, most of them were, were removing products. So instead of displaying 50 products on the homepage, we displayed 10 or six or, you know, whatever, or just, just displayed a few different categories. And we launched this test. And in the first week of launching this test, they, they increased revenue by almost 10%, which was tens of thousands of dollars for them. Okay. And this is just from removing stuff from their site. And so what we ended up finding out was, okay, so yeah, this audience comes from Instagram. They come to our website. But if we show them every single product we have, it's too much. It's too much for them to comprehend. And it's really easy for them to get distracted. So instead of showing them all of our products on the homepage, let's show them three or four. And maybe we'll show them a couple of categories. And that way we, we remove a lot of distractions. We make it easier for them to find what they're looking for. And we make it more likely that they'll ultimately buy something from us. So that was a, a really um, interesting test that challenged a lot of assumptions that they had about their audience. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That is really great stuff. Don't you find, too, that what happens to some uh, business people is they know they've got a great product or a service. So they fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. And what they should be doing is falling in love with the customer. But what they do is present text and images that essentially say, our product, our service is so great, it's so great, it's so great. And the person who's coming to you would rather hear how your product or service is gonna make their lives better or great. Yes. And not only that, they want to hear it in the shortest, easiest way for them to possibly consume. It's really easy, even if you are in love with your customer, it's really easy to just inundate them with information. Like you yeah. just said, you yeah. put all of this content on there and it might all even be, here's how this can benefit your life. I've got 50 reasons why you should buy my product and I'm going to show all of them to you right now. 
<laughs> and so one of the big things that, that we learn on a constant basis with our clients is a lot of times they don't want all that information. A lot of times there might only be two or three of those 50 things that people actually care about and connect with. Mm -hmm. And so instead of displaying 50 reasons why they should buy your product, if you can just give them the two that they care about, they're much more likely to buy. And so that's part of what, you know, what we spend a lot of time helping our, our, our clients do is figuring out what is it about your product that is actually going to resonate with your audience? Is it the fact that it's the most high tech thing out there? Is it the fact that it fits in your pocket? Is it the fact that, uh, that it's cheaper than your competitors? Is it the fact that you've got a 30 day, 30 day money back guarantee? Is it the fact that you have free shipping? Like what is it that people actually care about? Uh, mm -hmm. and then how can we show that to them in a way that they'll notice it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, I, uh, I'm involved with a nutrition company and we have a nutritional system that is unparalleled for achieving long-term dramatic weight loss. Now, I'm not telling you this because I'm going to promote it. Not at all. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. The danger is to think, well, I know that this, these superfoods will help people to lose weight. And I know the reasons. So I might get all excited trying to tell my prospective client or customer that there's nowhere they can get a protein source as pure as this. And the fact that it's undenatured whey protein and that it's from New Zealand. But here's the thing. When I'm talking to uh, people uh, who work with me, my team, I'll say, do you think this morning when a person woke up and they got out of bed and they said to themselves, oh man, not another day. What do I need to make my life better? Ah, I know. <laughs> Undenatured whey protein. No, they more than likely said, I wish I had more energy so I wouldn't be dragging myself like a dead weight at 11 in the morning. And I wish I didn't hate what I saw when I looked in the mirror. Yep. Now, if my language is talking to those pain points and changing their picture of who they can be, then the undenatured whey protein comes in the back door. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And um, yeah, so... It's a fascinating game. It really, really is. But I love the way you're thinking. What was the most discouraging moment in your life? There have been quite a few. Um, the most discouraging professional moment of my life is definitely one of those early jobs that I had, um, you know, digital marketing. Uh, I ended up getting laid off. And this was fairly unexpected for me. Um, and, you know, especially in, you know, in, in Utah where, where I live, there's a major digital marketing scene and a lot of demand for it. And so, you know, I thought it was fairly, fairly secure job that I had. Uh, and so that was, it was discouraging for me 
because it challenged, you know, all, a lot of my assumptions that I had. And it was also discouraging for me because, and this goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier in the conversation, because I took it personally. Mm. I took it personally that, that this meant something about me. This means I suck. It means I'm not good enough. It means that uh, they don't like me or, <laughs> you know, all, the, all these different things. I took it personal and that made it even more discouraging. I call that optional pain. You know, I decided to heap a bunch of optional pain on top of the pain that you're just going to feel from losing your job anyways, mm -hmm. because that is painful, you know, and it sucks. Mm -hmm. um, but when you take it personally, you heap on a whole bunch of crap on top of the crap that you've already got. <laughs> and it just makes your situation much worse. I totally agree. And you know, the interesting thing is, from a mindset point of view, the shift is a question of asking a different question. Like yeah. most of us end up asking, why did this happen to me? Bad question, because it's, you're definitely going to get an answer and it's definitely going to put you into a narrative that sucks. Yep. However, if you said, hmm, how can I make this great? You're going to get empowering answers. Yes. You know, yes. it's just an amazing game, isn't it? Well, and that's actually, so it's, it's interesting. One of these situations came up with my daughter the other day. So <laughs> I took my daughter to this play place that has like all these big inflatable slides and obstacle courses and stuff. It was so, super fun. And while we're there, um, she went to the drinking fountain to get a drink. And there was a bunch of a bunch of stools are on the ground, you know, because she's tiny. She's a little four-year-old. So there's a bunch of stools on the ground, and she steps on the side of one, and it tips over, and her foot hits another one, and just, I mean, it hurt her really bad. And so she starts crying, and, you know, I pick her up and give her a hug, and I'm sitting there holding her. And, um, <laughs> and in the car on the way home, <laughs> she asks, why did those kids put that stool there? I said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And she said, why did they put that stool there? So I got hurt. And so immediately, you know, she's four years old and it's amazing that it's, it's so funny to hear some of these questions that we as adults, we go into that same narrative, but we use, we use more adult language. And so it sounds less victim-y. Right, but right. basically what she's doing here, is she's being a victim to this situation. She's going, all these other people did this to me and that's why I got hurt. And so right. what I did was I talked her through it and I said, sweetheart, did those kids hurt you? She said, yeah, they did. How did they hurt you? Well, because they put that thing there. And I said, well, did they make you step on it? No. Did they, you know, like, like did they know that you were going to step on that and get hurt? No. So did they hurt, hurt you? No, but the stool, the stool did like, and then she goes, you know, and starts blaming the stool. <laughs> and so I said, well, did the stool hurt you or did you just not see the stool? Because why well, didn't see the stool? And so I said, so it's not the stool's fault and it's not your fault either. You made a mistake. You made a mistake. You stepped on something the wrong way and you got hurt. And it's nobody's fault that you got hurt. You made a mistake. And so you, what can you learn from this? And so it's funny because as I'm talking my daughter through this, of course, I'm going, this is what I need to be doing in my life as well. And this is what I'm working on doing is what you just mentioned. Instead of being a victim to circumstances in life, I got hurt. I lost my job. Instead of blaming everyone else, saying, all right, 
what can I learn from this? What can I do better next time? What can I do in this kind of situation to take responsibility for myself? Um, that's Those are powerful, powerful questions that, like you said just a minute ago, can really empower you. And my daughter felt super empowered from that. And it's always fun to talk a four-year-old through it because you can see in their face they go from this angry look to, you know, just loving life again and being happy-go-lucky. But um, it's harder to do that with yourself sometimes. Oh, I, I agree. Um, I had to put it to a test a few years ago when I had my first Mercedes-Benz that I loved, a beautiful navy blue, um, uh, was it a 250, I believe it was, the C-Class. And I crashed it and totaled it, totaled it. Oh, no. But, what, but I didn't get hurt. And when I got out of the car, I remembered this. I had learned this from a mentor. I said, I can look at this and go, why did this happen to me? I said, no, how can I make it great? I stayed with that question. And I got to tell you, Chris, I didn't have 10 minutes of regret. And for three years, I did very happily without a car. Hmm. It was amazing. Love but, that. but psychologically, it was so freeing because you could be hung up on stuff like that for six months. You could say, Six months later, oh, my God, if only I hadn't done blah, 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 I would still be driving that wonderful, totally wasted energy. Totally. Yep. Ridiculous. Or you could spend the rest of your life being angry about it. Hey, lots of people do. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's why they sit around and drink and talk about the the good old days. And if only, <laughs> if only I had invested in, if only I, if only I had proposed to her. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Or, or to him oh boy so do you invest in personal development absolutely yeah i i am a major major proponent in personal development i mentioned this earlier and so you know i i believe in personal professional development as well as personal non-professional quote-unquote and and i say non non-professional even though any development you do personally will affect you professionally. I, I firmly believe that. Um, and so, you know, I do a lot of things like, you know, I do counseling for myself, you know, I, that's, that's, <laughs> uh, for myself, for my, for my marriage. Um, I do, I'm a huge proponent of business coaches, you know, having some kind of a business coach or at, at minimum, like an accountability partner where you can set goals and have some accountability and have someone point out because, you know, as, as any entrepreneur knows, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, you start running down this path blindly, not knowing that 10 feet to the left, there's a much easier path. <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, having like a business coach or a mentor, somebody that's been down the path before you and can say, here's some of the things that you want to look out for. Oh, you know what? You might be approaching this the wrong way. You might be thinking about this the wrong way. I think those are super, super important uh, for any for any professional, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, mm. uh, to have. And then I'm also just a huge proponent of uh, personal accountability. So working on yourself and making commitments to yourself and and uh, being able to trust yourself that you're going to follow through. That was one of the things that when I first started my business, I had zero personal accountability. Um, 
And so, you know, I would set aside a block of time to do X, you know, to, to uh, go and find new clients or to follow up. And if that time came around and I didn't feel like doing it, then I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> Even though I had put it in my calendar, which is basically a commitment to myself that I'm going to do it. And because I wasn't accountable to anybody else, because it wasn't a meeting with anybody else, it was like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not letting anybody down if I do this, but I was letting myself down. And so I'm a huge, huge believer in having personal accountability, in making commitments to yourself, following through with those commitments. And if you don't, having some kind of a consequence for yourself. Like, I broke a commitment to myself. And I, you know, I'm, I'm important. I am worth keeping a commitment to myself. Just because I didn't make this commitment to someone else does not make this commitment any less important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm a huge believer in, in uh, developing personal accountability. That's wonderful. Have you studied at all with uh, Tony Robbins? I love Tony Robbins. I went to one of Tony Robbins' seminars and, uh, and absolutely loved it. There was which, a lot of things that came out of that. Which one was it? It was, so it was a, just a single day seminar and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was just, uh, was it, it uh, Unleash Your Power Within? It was, yeah, that was the, that was the, uh, the content of it. Yeah, the, uh, the signature course I want to take with him is, uh, Date with Destiny. That's, that's the, uh, the ultimate, that's the ultimate transformational course. And, uh, in terms of business coaches, you're familiar with Dan Sullivan? Uh, yeah, I know who Dan Sullivan is. Yeah, strategic coach. Yep. You know, he's uh, they're located here in Toronto. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I, yeah. I love the Toronto area. I had, I had to come up there, and and uh, there there's a lot of there. In fact, I thought about moving my business up to Toronto for a while because I know the the business tax laws are a little less strict than than the U.S. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, very very interesting indeed. You know, I want to give you some time here to just talk to our audience about your company, your expertise, and what they could get from you. So just l- let it roll, because we've gone in some very interesting directions, and as uh, uh, I, they were relevant to, um, they have they have meaning. So we did that instead of going with a script, and that's great. But now just, you know, tell us what people can expect to get from you if they have, uh, they want to improve their business. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I mentioned I started my own business and uh, about close to two years ago, I, um, I merged my company with Disruptive Advertising. So that's where I'm at now. And, uh, and what we do is there, there's basically two things that we do really well. My area of expertise is conversion rate optimization. So, you know, what we were talking about with the websites, figuring out how to get people to convert. Now, a lot of businesses will say, well, I already get people to convert, so why do I need somebody like you? Um, And that is the perfect question to ask because, you know, no matter how well your website is converting, there are always people that are leaving your website that you could have converted if you had done something different. And so, you know, we have worked with companies uh, like Guitar Center that that make hundreds of millions of dollars every year from their website and been able to see massive increases in conversion rates by 
going back to some of those fundamental questions that I was talking about earlier, what is it that people want to see from the site? What might be distracting them while they're on your website? You know, if you showed them a different product, would they be more likely to have bought that instead of adding it to their cart and leaving? You know, those, those kinds of questions. Those are the kinds of questions that we help people investigate uh, in terms of conversion rate optimization. So if, in, in terms of converting people on the site, how can I maximize the revenue generated from the existing traffic I have? Uh, and then what we also do at Disruptive Advertising is we also drive the traffic. So we're kind of the, the one-two punch of we, we run paid ad campaigns, both through Google and through Facebook, to get awesome, relevant traffic to your site. And then we, we jump in and run tests on your site to make sure that we're actually converting that traffic. So that's uh, kind of in a nutshell what we do. Um, and and anybody, that's, you know, anybody that's listening, if they're just interested in, in a free audit, we do audits of people's websites all the time and basically just point out three to six different areas of opportunity to say, here's some opportunity. You know what, if, if you were to test different value propositions on this page, there's a high likelihood that you can convert more people. If you were to test uh, potentially removing distractions on a page, um, you know, that's a big one that I mentioned earlier, like with diesel power gear. It could just be, you're displaying too many products, you're displaying too much information. Um, and, we're, and we help businesses run the tests to figure out you know, exactly what people want to see on those pages. So that's kind of, uh, you know, I, I would love to do a, uh, a free audit for anybody who, um, who is listening that is kind of interested in knowing, well, what could I maybe do, be doing better on, on our site? Uh, that's that's uh, what we spend a lot of time doing over here. And how can people um, contact you? Yeah, so I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter, on LinkedIn. My my uh, my Twitter name is Chris at Chris Daly. My last name is spelled D A Y L E Y. Um, we also have uh, for for people that are like really interested in learning more about conversion rate optimization. We also have a free ebook um, that people can download. That's kind of the basics, the starter guide to conversion rate optimization. So people can download that if they go to disruptiveadvertising.com slash guide. Um, and if they're interested in talking with, with me or with Disruptive, there's a little box that they can check that says, yes, I'd like to talk to Disruptive. Uh, if you just want the guide, then, then you don't have to check the box and you can just get the guide. Why the name Disruptive? Yeah, so Disruptive means a lot to me personally um, because traditional marketing agencies are all about best practices. They're all about coming in and saying, well, here's what we got to do. Here's what we need to do. These are the best practices. This is what your competitors are doing, blah, blah, blah. And some of those things are helpful. It is, it is helpful to do competitive research, and it is helpful to understand the best practices, but our approach is disruptive in the sense that we are experts at learning what your audience wants. And if we're running ads for you, we're experts at finding out where your audience is and who they are. You might be able to tell us what their demographic is. You might be able to tell us what their age is or where they're located. We can help you figure out what they need to see in order to engage. From, you know, from the same thing from the website. You might know who's coming to your website. We can help you figure out um, 
figure out what it is that they want to see. And that's really a disruptive approach in uh, a disruptive approach in in today's world and especially with marketing agencies in the sense that we're not just espousing best practices, we're we're practicing um, constant learning and um, uh, you know and and customizing an approach for uh, for each client's audience. Mm-hmm. Now you called yourself a neuromarketer. What does that mean? So neuromarketing is kind of a new term, and um, really, what it is is it's kind of it's pairing marketing with psychology, um, meaning how people think, pairing the psychology of how people think and why people behave the way they do with marketing. Because if you can understand, I mean, this is this is what I do all day, every day. If you can understand, um, you know, okay, I, I changed this on my website. I, I put a picture of a woman instead of a picture of a man and conversion rates went up. Why? Why did that happen? If you can understand why that happened, why something changed, why your, why your customer's behavior changed, then you can capitalize on it and you can market the heck out of that every day. You know, if you, uh, you know, so we ran a test uh, for a client of ours <laughs> where we changed literally just the text in the call to action button. And instead of saying, um, learn more, we said, uh, we said, get more information. And that converted way better. And a lot of companies would go, okay, cool, put that on there. And then they'd never think about it again. But we want to understand why. Why did that happen? Why is it? What is it about get more information instead of learn more that generated a much better response? And, and so what we do is we put, again, we pair psychology of, okay, here's what we learned about the audience. Here's what we think is happening inside of our audience's brain. Here's why we think this resonated better. And now here's what we're going to do to do an even better job of this. Here's the next test that we're going to run to capitalize on it. And so you know, our, again, I call myself a neuromarketer because my approach is not just traditional marketing. It's not just let's think of a clever headline and put it out there. It's, hey, let's think of several different clever headlines. Let's test it. Let's see what happens. And then let's figure out why that happened and and continue becoming smarter and smarter over time. So um, I absolutely love what I do. It is the funnest industry on the planet to be in because I'm constantly learning something new every day, um, and and it is just it's it's a fascinating space to be in. Yeah, I can hear it. Can hear your excitement, your passion. It's wonderful. Where do you envision yourself in five years, Chris? You know, we have a pretty audacious goal of uh, becoming a hundred million dollar a year business, um, and. I absolutely believe that that we're that disruptive advertising will be that in the next five years. And and so, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that can happen over the next five years that will take us there. Uh, but I believe that what I'm going to be doing is leading out, um, you know, a company that is really changing lives. That's really what what my what my goal is, is that we we improve lives through results-based relationships. I'm a huge, huge proponent. One of the things I love the most about what I do is building relationships, meaningful relationships with people where I'm able to use my skill set to benefit the relationship. You know, I've made some of the very best friends in my entire life through what I do. 
Um, and it's not just because they pay me money, <laughs> you know, it's because we build meaningful relationships together and then I'm able to benefit that relationship um, with my skill set. So I, I believe that I will just be doing 10 times more of that uh, in five years from now and, and I'm excited to do that. So wonderful, worthy goal. What, what is your favorite book? There's, there's a lot of books that I love. I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I, I am a big reader. Um, and I think the one that probably influenced me the most was the four hour work week from Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. And the reason this was influential for me was, um, it caused me to think about what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. You know, he has several chapters in there where he talks about, you know, people who retire and then hate their lives <laughs> because they're not busy working anymore. And it really challenged me to think outside the box about who do I want to become? Like, what skills do I want to develop? What talents do I want to develop? What do I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Um, and those were questions I had never even considered before. So I think it's a great book for people, you know, especially entrepreneurs, but um, it's a great book for any any working professional to to check out to challenge their current thought process. I totally agree. I love Tim Ferriss. I follow his podcast too. Um, do you have a favorite quote? I do. Um, this is one that's been influential for me the last year, and it is: um, in order to in order to reach a goal you've never before reached, you must do things you've never before done. Um, and the reason that I like that is it's easy, again, going back to the whole like victim mentality, it's really easy to sit there and go, why am I not reaching my goals? Why am I not reaching my goals? I'm doing the same things I've always done. And that's the problem. <laughs> um, a lot of times, if you want to reach some kind of a new goal, you've got to make changes. Um, and you know, I said, this has been really influential for me over the last year because I have been, um, making a lot of major changes in my life um, to help me reach a lot of goals that I have. One of the most notable, notable changes that I made was I actually got rid of my smartphone. Um, this is one that uh, a lot of people, I get a lot of flack about, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I downgraded to a flip phone for many, many reasons. And I still, I still have, uh, you know, I have my smartphone locked away in a safe in case I ever decide to switch back. But, um, but for me, doing something different, like making a radical change in my life like that was really scary, number one. Number two, I had lots of excuses why I shouldn't do it. Um, and number three was, it just like is inconvenient. <laughs> um, but for me, I had a goal. I want to be more present with my kids. I want to be more present in business conversations. I want to be more present when I'm in conversations with my wife. And I just wasn't doing that. You know, I was so attached to my smartphone, like so many people are, I was constantly distracted. And so, you know, I decided, okay, I'm going to try to reach this goal that I've never before had. I want to be 100% present in a conversation with my daughter. And that was one of the ways that I went about doing that. And it was life-changing for me. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of just being willing to make radical changes in your life in order to reach goals that you care about accomplishing. This is wonderful stuff. Um, what you just said about uh, 
because it takes it takes courage because you know you were talking about people being addicted i mean they're actually discovering that it is a real addiction and that it involves uh, the relationship with the phone involves getting con constant dopamine hits yep uh, and that when people are thinking about or someone suggests we're going to take the phone and separate you from it they start to go through withdrawal and fear and anxiety yeah. and it's it's very very powerful stuff now who who um who's the person who said those words in order to uh reach a goal you have never before reached you know i don't even remember who said that i could find out for you but uh but it was it was a quote that i heard uh a year or two ago that i wrote down and i and i have just recited to myself and i probably ought to figure out who said it well i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure our friend google will be able to tell us i'm sure <laughs> you know and any final thoughts chris you know i i really appreciate the conversation it's been a fantastic um, conversation. I know we've been all over the place and talked about a variety of things. Um, I I appreciate um, appreciate being invited onto your show today. And you know, really, the thing that I just that I that I want to say is that whatever your goals are, whatever your passions are in life, you know, whether you are an employee, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are a venture capitalist, or Whatever, like whatever it is that is driving you in life, whatever your goals are, you can reach them and to be patient with yourself. Like personal development is a lifelong goal. And so one of the things that I always want to do is I always want to be at my next goal now. <laughs> I want to be there today. And, uh, and if you're willing to make changes in your life, you will get there but it takes a lot of patience. And so, you know, don't beat yourself up when you're not where you want to be yet. Um, because like I said, personal development, becoming the person that you want to be for the rest of your life is a lifelong uh, goal. And, and there's a lot of achievements along the way. There's a lot of milestones along the way, but um, to just enjoy the path that gets you there, enjoy the journey that, that takes you where you're wanting to go. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, it's wisdom, what you just said. And you've um, triggered a thought for me because of the emphasis on personal development, on being able to achieve that which you set your dreams and focus on. And also because we talked a bit about the challenges in the educational system. Um, I recommend the podcast that is recent, an interview on the Genius Network, Joe Polish's Genius Network. I believe it's number 72. He's interviewing a brilliant, brilliant man named Naveen Jain. That's J-A-I-N, I believe. And it's uh, Genius Network episode number 72 about creating moonshots for yourself. And you've set a moonshot of the $100 million goal for disruptive advertising. Thank you, because you have truly enriched my day and you've enriched our audience.
Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Chris Daly. I trust that you have been enriched as much as I have. Chris brings an authenticity, a directness, and a set of skills to the table that are inspiring and that can help anyone to increase their profitability in their business. Not to mention that as he's revealed about growing himself as a human being, there's a lot here for us to apply to our own personal growth. Certainly, we talked about some absolutely amazing books. Now, any of those titles will be game changers. They can change your entire life. Treat yourself by going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and grabbing one of those books as an audio download absolutely free and get one month access to all of Audible service for free as well. Please pay this podcast forward. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. And at that website, grab the copy of the gift that I have created for you, a downloadable free ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Chris and I covered a lot of ground today. And something that is really, really important, especially today as our world is rapidly changing, one, the topic of our educational system. Certainly worth evaluating how that system is impacting your children, but very important to look back and examine if the educational system and the demands that it placed on you did any damage to your self-esteem the way it did to Chris, left him with a feeling that maybe he was out of sync, that he wasn't enough. It's really, really important to note that the educational system has major flaws in it. And if it left you feeling that you weren't enough in any way, shape, or form, change that story right away. If it wasn't the educational system, it may have been other experiences in your life that led you to create a story that makes you feel that you're not adequate. You're not adequate in relationships. You're not adequate in work. You're not adequate uh, as a creative person. These narratives are exactly that. They're just stories. They don't serve you. They rob you of your true potential and joy in the world. Seriously, look at them and ask yourself, how can I change my story, and change my life. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.